0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. At the beginning of the pandemic, Prime Minister Scott Morrison was keen to project himself as a unifying leader, coordinating the nation's response. But as the crisis has stretched on, he's adopted a much more reserved approach on internal border disputes and aged care. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper Paul Bongiorno on Morrison's strategy of inaction and if it'll work. Paul, this week we saw a a pretty extraordinary border dispute between three different states. Tell me about what happened.
1: Well, in a nutshell, what happened was 100 Canberrans with permits to travel from Victoria to the Australian Capital Territory were stranded for six days, as New South Wales unexpectedly and without warning changed the rules.
2: Changes made by Gladys Berejiklian last week meant anyone coming back into New South Wales from Victoria had to arrive via Sydney Airport, not the road border. Now, that left around 100 Canberrans stuck in Wodonga...
1: These people had come with their cars packed with goods and chattels and they had permits which Border Police said were no longer applicable and they had to sit there for six days while New South Wales and the ACT, with no help from Canberra, tried to sort it out.
0: Mm. And this isn't the first time that we've seen a, a dispute over borders.
1: Well, no, it's not. Um, As as we know, the Prime Minister for three months was attacking the states, particularly Queensland and Western Australia, for not opening their borders. Uh, Morrison wanted all the states to open uh, their borders, and uh, this campaign uh, went very badly for him.
0: Right, and what is Scott Morrison saying about the current situation?
1: Well, Ruby, I think the rub is he's not saying too
2: much Uh, shortly, but uh, I just wanted to start uh, by expressing my sincere
1: condolences. At his Monday Courtyard News Conference, four days into the New South Wales government's refusal to allow the Canberrans to return home from Victoria, despite, as I say, having permits to do so... Morrison again played that role of don't look at me, it's not my fault. Well these are one of the
2: challenges of when borders are put in place between state jurisdictions, uh, at least in the
1: case of New South Wales and Victoria He said it was important for the ACT administration to be engaging with New South Wales to resolve these issues. There was no role for him.
2: I understand that the New South Wales Premier will will be anxious in these circumstances. We certainly don't want to see people stranded but I would hope between the ACT Chief Minister and the New
1: South Wales Premier, they might be able to resolve those matters. Scott Morrison didn't pick up the phone to two members of this much-avointed National Cabinet, namely the, the Premier and the Chief Minister. I'm told that he didn't take calls from the Chief Minister, so he didn't try at all to sort out what was truly a bizarre situation. As I said, I think he's reluctance to get involved in, in the six-day border standoff betrays a style of governance that's passive and reactive to issues and and I've got no doubt it has an eye to quarantining himself from any political culpability. Uh, I think it played out most unconvincingly because, in a unique sense, the borders of the Australian Capital Territory are his borders.
0: Right, so the Prime Minister has sort of vacated the field on this issue of internal borders then and and left it up to the states to work out?
1: Uh, yes, and and uh, it's a change of tack, isn't it? Because for three months he was very much in, involved in telling the states to open their borders. I've got to say, in this instance, eventually, six, <laughs> it took six days, New South Wales and the ACT did work something out uh, and unlike the Prime Minister, the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, didn't snub the ACT Chief Minister, Andrew Barr. Uh, Barr was able to get the Premier to answer the phone, but i got to say, she took some convincing, and to try and convince her, the Chief Minister offered a police escort non-stop from Albury to the ACT, and supervised self-isolation for 14 days, as all the stranded Canberrans anyway had already undertaken. But the Premier was concerned they'd need a comfort stop. So the Chief Minister nominated one just north of where the dog sits on the tucker box at Gundagai. And uh, I can tell you Barr even promised to pay for a deep clean once the travellers resumed their journey.
0: So is the situation resolved now?
1: Well, thankfully, yes. Midweek, New South Wales uh, came to its senses, as a relieved Andrew Barr commented when he welcomed the overdue green light For the travellers. And so I am pleased uh, and relieved uh, that this situation has been resolved uh, and those people who have been waiting incredibly patiently uh, at the border can travel home. I want to thank them for their. But I think the absurdity of the standoff was highlighted by the experience of Victorian MP Tim Wilson. He too was caught by the sudden change in health directive as he drove from Melbourne to the ACT to take part in his uh, 14-day self-isolation before Parliament resumes. Well, luckily for him, hurried phone calls convinced Border Police that a special deal Morrison had negotiated for federal MPs exempted him from these sudden new restrictions. Look, apparently it hadn't occurred to the Prime Minister that this double standard, wasn't a good look, and it could have been avoided by him picking up the phone to quickly resolve the issue in the first place. I think for a Prime Minister calling for transparency and better leadership from other leaders, this was a strategic mistake. And I've got to say it's not the only example when he's demonstrated an unwillingness himself to be held to account.
0: We'll be back in a moment. This year, The Saturday Paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read The Saturday Paper... You don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story.
2: As a a. 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer.
0: Paul, we're talking about Scott Morrison's new hands-off approach to the issue of internal borders. Is he adopting a similar approach to to other parts of the pandemic response?
1: Well, yes, he is, Ruby. On Monday, with the special New South Wales inquiry into the Ruby Princess cruise ship quarantine debacle winding up, Morrison was asked why he hadn't delivered the full cooperation to this inquiry he'd promised. Not one federal official was allowed to answer the summons to give evidence in person about their key role in allowing passengers off the ship. Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton had said he didn't want his officers besmirched. People within the Australian Border Force, who again have gone above and beyond in this response, have really worked day and night to keep Australians safe. I'm not going to have them besmirched on a regular basis by anybody and well it is actually because and morrison played word games
2: why don't you encourage them to come forward and actually testify I, i said we would cooperate with the inquiry as we have in with other inquiries and that's exactly what we've done and so that's what we continue to
1: do well attorney general christian porter wrote to the shadow attorney general mark Dreyfus to explain that he took a very narrow legalistic view he said that the um Constitution doesn't allow state inquiries to call federal officials. Uh, But, of course, this is just an evasion because it is true that the Constitution doesn't allow them to compel people to turn up, but it doesn't say they can't turn up and give evidence. Porter said, oh, well, they gave written evidence, but it's certainly not the same thing. And I can tell you the commissioner holding the inquiry, Brett Walker, SC, was far from amused, especially as the Commonwealth, and this is how far they went, which hasn't really been reported, threatened to take the commission to the High Court to block the witnesses giving evidence. So they were pretty keen not to cooperate as fully as they wanted everybody to think. Uh, But, of course, what the Morrison government had avoided was TV pictures of federal agents in the witness box explaining their bungling. It would undermine a blame the states strategy. Now, what Commissioner Walker makes of it, we'll find out. More soon enough, he's due to give his findings to the Berejiklian government today and we'll have to wait for it uh, to release them publicly.
0: And, Paul, there's another inquiry taking place as well at the moment?
1: Yes, there is, Ruby, and this squarely puts the Commonwealth, the federal government, uh, in the firing line. It's the Royal Commission into aged care, and it's not going to be easy for Morrison to hide from the explosive evidence coming from there. This week, council assisting Peter Rosen QC said the evidence will reveal neither the Commonwealth Department of Health nor the aged care regulator developed a COVID-19 plan specifically for the aged care sector.
0: Right, and aged care is an area where the federal government has overall responsibility. So what has Scott Morrison's response been to the evidence given at the Royal Commission?
1: Well, in terms of media management, the last time we saw or heard the Prime Minister was on Monday, as all of this began to unfold during the week. He was tackled about it at at that uh, Courtyard News Conference, you know, especially when he was told that the Royal Commission had found that 68% of coronavirus deaths, or 213 people at that stage, were from nursing homes. Well, the Prime Minister claimed that this was now being addressed. But in a tactic reminiscent of former Prime Minister Paul Keating, Morrison threw the media pack a juicy chunk of red meat to chase in the opposite direction. He said he'd read in some media outlets that our elderly should be offered up to the virus. There have been some suggestions. I've read
2: it in in, in pieces that have been read in in the the, the, uh, the, uh, outlet you represent, that somehow our elderly should in some way have been... um, offered up in relation to this virus. That is is just a hideous thought, an absolutely amoral,
1: hideous thought,
2: one that I have had no count...
0: And when he referred to media outlets, who was Scott Morrison actually talking about?
1: Well, none other than News Corp's Andrew Bolt. In fact, next day, Bolt altered himself as the target. Instead, Scott Morrison is now attacking me for heartlessness, for being a moral for saying something in my newspaper columns today that he stupidly misrepresents. Bolt then threw the chunk of red meat, if I can keep this metaphor going, back at the Prime Minister. Uh, He said, in fact, uh, what is amoral and hideous are the policy the Prime Minister supports that turned aged care homes into killing fields and denied the sick a drug that could save them. I have got to call this man to account. He is blind to a drug that could actually save lives from this virus, and meanwhile is dodging blame for the fiasco in aged care homes. Now, when Bolt talks about a drug that could save them, he's talking about hydroxychloroquine. Bolt's boasting of that drug is very Trump-esque, and I've got to say it was easily dispatched by the acting chief uh, medical officer, Paul Kelly. Well, not so easily dispatched is the tale of woe unfolding in the Royal Commission's hearings this week. But the minister charged with defending the government, Richard Colbeck, told ABC's Fran Kelly that the government had a plan, and that plan was still evolving.
2: Well, we we do have a plan, uh, Fran, uh, and that plan has continued to evolve and develop, including incorporating learnings from uh, not only here in Australia. things like Newmarch and Dorothy Anderson Lodge, but it's also incorporated learnings from international circumstances,
1: uh, and it continues to... Ruby, one of the learnings, as the Minister calls them, surely must be government actions, or more precisely here, inactions speak louder than words. Mm.
0: And, Paul, do you think that this strategy will work? Will people do what the Prime Minister is hoping and and blame the states, or... Will they point the finger at him when they sense a lack of leadership?
1: Well, I think it depends in large measure on the role of the media holding power to account. It depends on the parliament, the opposition, and then stakeholders um, you know, pointing out what's going on, putting it up in lights. But I've got to say, in Scott Morrison, we have a very nimble, wily political operator and at times I would say a cynical one. He's shown that he can pivot at the last minute and then explain his tardiness or his coming late to an issue on, you know, being measured and cautious. And if you can believe the news poll this week, so far it's working a treat for him, but I believe it's beginning to fray at the edges.
0: Paul, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Ruby. Bye.
0: Andrew O'Hagan's latest, Caledonian Road, explores one man's epic fall from grace. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew to discuss this and the state of modern Britain. All that and more, wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, has expressed cautious optimism at Victoria's lower coronavirus case numbers. Victoria recorded 278 new cases and eight deaths yesterday, a significant drop in the number of new daily cases compared to earlier in the week. The Victorian government will increase the payment to people self-isolating after a COVID-19 test from $300 to $450. And New Zealand has recorded 13 more coronavirus cases after community transmission was detected again for the first time in over 100 days. There are now 36 active cases in the country and health officials are scrambling to contain the outbreak. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto, and Michelle Macklem. Elle Marsh is our features and field producer in a position that's supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. You can subscribe in your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you Monday.